Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. During that meeting, God spoke to me very, very clear that he wanted me to go into prison. Now... When I got home that night, Judah said to me, God spoke to you tonight. And I looked at her and said, what do you mean? She says, God spoke to you tonight. I said, why? And she said, because he spoke to me. And he said, whatever you do, I've got to back you. Yeah. And that was 24 years ago. And she's been faithful to her word, and he's been faithful to his word yeah. for 24 years. Hello and welcome to Testimony, an encouraging look at how God works in people's lives. Hello and welcome to uh, everybody on the third episode of Testimony Podcast. I'm pleased today to be joined by Steve Clegg and we're going to learn a little bit about how his faith has helped him in the role that he currently has. How are you Steve? I'm very well kid, good to see you again Dan. I've been <laughs> on Dan since a little boy and it's good to see him growing up at long last. <laughs> I want to tell a little anecdote here, just to put you on the spot, because yeah. my first week at university, I don't know if you remember, joining a big church, a big assembly, which I wasn't used to, not knowing very many people at all, the speaker was yourself, do you remember right. that? Uh, yeah, I was, yeah. And you were in full flow and speaking away, and you looked over and you said, hey up Danny, here's my mate Danny. <laughs> and I just remember that feeling of being mortified, but it was, it was probably what I needed, just to settle us down, settle and down yeah, familiar face. Yeah. But it's not the only time you've embarrassed us. <laughs> That's what it's all about, isn't it, mate? It'll not be the last. <laughs> it won't. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> so, Steve, tell us a little bit about your, your upbringing. Where, where were you born? What was your family like? Um, I'm a Yorkshireman, born and bred, strong in the arm. I can't remember the last line. Uh, but I was born in, near Huddersfield. Mum and Dad were Christians. I've got two younger sisters, Heather and Catherine. I'm the oldest of the family. I'm three years older than Heather and six years older than Catherine. I uh, went to Sunday school from being near to a grasshopper. I knew all the Sunday school songs and the Sunday school stories, but of course that didn't make me a Christian. Um, went to Sunday school camps a lot and uh, I had a good upbringing, loving, loving home, which I was thankful of. As I grew up I wasn't thankful of being in a Christian home because uh, a lot of my friends were going out playing football on a Sunday and uh, I would done in my suit as we had to do in those days and uh, I'd off to Sunday school. Yeah. So that wasn't, that wasn't the pleasant for me. But uh, So church had a big part of playing your life. Yeah. But at what point did being taken on to church and listening to Sunday school and listening to gospel messages, at what point did that actually have an impact on you? I knew... I was brought up to know that I was, I was a sinner, that I'd done things wrong, I wasn't good enough for God. I was brought up to know that. 
on a number of occasions as a young lad, I realised that I weren't good enough for God and that Jesus had died for me. But I kept putting things off, just turning it away, turning it away. I was rebelling in some ways, and I did rebel as a teenager. I went to uh, Sunday school camp every year, the Yorkshire Sunday school camp. And um, I used to go, literally, just go for the sports. Not interested in the meetings, sports and the girls, and that was it. Uh, being honest, you know. But there was one time in September 1971, when my dad was preaching at... Featherstone Gospel Hall and I asked if I could go there not because I wanted to leave my dad, I'd heard him many times but I went there to see some friends of mine who were at camp with sat at the back row all the way through, just chatted away all the way through if you'd have asked me at the end, what did dad speak on today I wouldn't have had the foggiest idea I hadn't even listened but as I was leaving the hall that day my old tent leader were there and he just walked up to me and, well, I was passing him on the stairs and he said, hello, Steve, he said, isn't it time you're getting saved? It's to the point, isn't it? Straight to the point. Isn't it time you're getting saved? And immediately in my mind I thought, I ain't getting involved in that conversation here, Bill. So I just turned to him and said, yeah, you're right, Bill. It is. And I walked past him. And I went out into the street and God just stopped me dead. Because that was the very, very first time I had admitted openly that I needed to get saved. And it was the 4th of September 1971, Station Lane at Featherstone. And there, just outside the hall, I literally opened my heart to the Lord. I'm a shy lad, and I never told anybody. Sorry, you just said you were a shy lad? I'm a very shy lad, yeah. <laughs> yeah very shy. And I never told anybody, Dan. Uh, a few weeks later, a few weeks later, um, my mum came into my bedroom to give me a good night's sleep. I'd been in bed probably half an hour, just d dropping off to sleep, and mum came into my bedroom, gave me a kiss, and she said, um, have you become a Christian? And I just half asleep said, yeah, I have, mum. Well, I weren't just half asleep for very much longer, because she just woke me straight up. Do you know what you've said? I said, yes, mum. I asked the Lord into my life on the 4th of September at Featherston. She knew there'd been a change. Phil Harding, who was a good friend of ours, Uncle Phil, my mum rang Uncle Phil and said to him, just to let you know that Steve's been, Steve said he's been saved. And Uncle Phil said to me, to my mum, she says, can I tell you when it was? It was that weekend there, because I saw a definite change in him. And, you know, if any man is in Christ, God does change your life. Even though I brought up in a Christian home, I still needed my life sorting out. Yeah. And it was there on 4th of September, 71. Never forget it, Dan. Very good. So then, after that, Christian life's easy, isn't it? Oh, it's dead easy after that. Dead easy. So, fill in a little, a little uh, space of time. At what point did you end up meeting that Judith in? I was, I was 14 when I got saved. About six, eight months later, I got baptised. Um, and then I left home at 16 to start my job. I went to live in Leeds like you did, Dan. Um, and it wasn't long before I was missing the meetings, missing my prayer, literally drifting away. And I was getting involved with the lads again at work, going out at night with the lads at work. And my life went down and down. I'll be quite honest with you, you know. And then my auntie, my dad's, my dad's sister, took me to the Firely Christian Holiday Crew, said, 
movement of world evangelization and I didn't really want to go but I'm a Yorkshireman and she was taking me away for a week's holiday. She was concerned because she realised I was drifting away and my cousin did as well. Um, so they took me on holiday to the Christian Holiday Crusade and the big attraction was it didn't cost me anything now. Typical Yorkshireman. A typical Yorkshireman. Deep pockets, very, very short arms. <laughs> but I'm really glad I went that time because it was there when I realised just what I was missing. And it was really there, I really, I really regained my life to the Lord. And that, I was about 17 and a half, 18 by that time. Shortly after that, I met Judith. Um, we started courting. I knew within two or three weeks that she was the one I wanted to marry. And I married at 19 and a half. She was, she's a lot older than I am. She's 23 months older than me. Um, and we got married in August 1976. That's 44 years ago. And I'm really glad that she came along. Definitely helped me for me. The Lord put her into my life just at the right time. And that was amazing. And obviously as we kind of go through your story and your testimony, there'll be instances where her character and personality has been suitable to help with the work that you're involved with. Yeah. This isn't the case that you do something and she just does her own thing and isn't affected by it. The whole family have had a role to play. Yeah, all family. So when did Sarah and Amanda come along? We got married in the August and we were going to save up and have a nice house and we were going to wait a few years to have the children, which we did. Sarah came 11 months later. Um, at the time it was very difficult, you know, and due to stopping work, me, me working hard, but... Uh, money wasn't great, it was very, very tough, but the Lord got us through it. Uh, and then two years later, Amanda arrived. Two little characters, both different, but both amazing girls. They've grown up into amazing girls. Yeah. And so you've been a f friend of the family for a long time, but you and Dad have had a similar career, certainly for some of Dad and some of you, yourself. At what point did you go self-employed, and, and how easy is it to be self-employed and the pressures of that plus to be a Christian and an elder in a church and involved with all of those things and be a father and a husband how do you balance everything up? It's, a, it's very very hard I started the business in 84 just after the miners strike things were difficult uh, we started in them after the miners strike the business grew but obviously when you're in business a lot of these people you deal with Businesses can be quite corrupt and they're asking for, can we have this, can we have that, what's in it for me, what's not in it for me. And of course, the moment you start dishing things out and dishing incentives out, backhander incentives, which as a Christian I would never ever do, uh, it makes it very hard. Some people don't want to deal with you. But we, had to, we just made our stand. I called the, the company was called Cherith, which meant the Lord will provide. Uh, thought about Elijah. And we believe that he provided for us, and he provided. It was difficult, it was a hard start. Started from absolutely nothing, but we had the business for 28 years, and the Lord blessed us through it. It was hard work being a dad, spending a lot of time working. Some mornings I'm away from work, away to work at six o'clock in the morning, back home at eight, nine o'clock at night, as we're building it up. But you know, thankful for Judith looking after the kids. She then got involved in the business, but she was home a little bit before me, and. She was a good mum to the kids, telling them about the Lord, and, and I'd do the same when I got in as well. So your business is called The Lord Will Provide. Yeah. Were there any times when you would worry that he wasn't going to provide? You know, bills come in, and wages to pay, mortgages to pay, 
Is there ever a point where you doubt maybe the Lord's just not helping? Quite, quite regular. There were times when there were more money going out than what were coming in. Right, they were employing quite a lot of staff at the time and the money wasn't coming in and it was very, very difficult. And there were times when we, Judith and I, didn't get any income whatsoever. But the amazing thing about it, yeah, we did have sleepless nights, many sleepless nights. Um, but I can honestly say that we never went without. Never went without. There was always something on the dinner table every single time and we were always able to meet our, our bills, which were actually great. Yeah. So yeah, the Lord, the Lord's amazing and he does provide. He's faithful, isn't he? Yeah, he is. At some point, you start going into prison. Now when I say that, it's going to sound like you had a, a swap to the dark side and <laughs> a criminal past, but you started to go into prisons. How did that come about? Because that's not, that wasn't something to do with your day job. It was nothing to do with my day job. And be quite honest, as far as I was concerned, put him in prison and then just throw away the key. Just keep him out of the way, blow the place up so we ain't got to deal with him anymore. Because I've had a lot of, you know, I've seen a lot of it in the past, uh, what effects it had on people. And I've got no time for these prisoners whatsoever. Or prison work whatsoever. But then um, a, a man called Ron Hutchinson from the northeast, uh, the man who invented hula hoops, did you know that? No. He invented hula hoops. The crisp? Yeah. All right, okay. He invented hula hoops, that's another story for another day, but uh, yeah. Um, he, he'd been working in the prisons for a few years up in the northeast, and he came down and he gave a report in Doncaster meeting, and Judith and I went to the minister meeting, which was a report meeting by Ron, uh, and he spoke about the work that he did in Acklington Prison, it's now called HMP Northumberland. During that meeting, God spoke to me very, very clear that he wanted me to go into prison. Now, when I got home that night, Judah said to me, God spoke to you tonight. And I looked at her and said, what do you mean? She says, God spoke to you tonight. I said, why? And she said, because he spoke to me. And he said, that whatever you do, I've got to back you. Yeah. And that was 24 years ago. And she's been faithful to her word, and he's been faithful to his word yeah. for 24 years. I spoke to Ron Hutchinson afterwards, and I just said, I'm very interested in you with the work you're doing, Ron. I'd like to get involved, and I'd like to learn a little bit more. And he said, oh, what you need to do is uh, ring the local prison and speak to the chaplain, arrange to go in, and that's how it starts. And I said, well, no, just wait a minute, Ron. I said... I want to learn a little bit more. I need to count the cost. The Bible tells us to count the cost. Can you build the wall? Can you build the tower? And I needed to count the cost. So um, Ron arranged for me to go to Acklington, to the HMP Acklington at the time. And we went up there one night and Judith and I went in. Sorry, I went in, Judith stopped with Nora. And Ron and I went into the jail. And when I went in there, it was a Bible class. Some very, very unsavoury characters, but they're all listening, they're all hanging on to every word. And uh, I gave me testimony, and I came out, and Ron says, how do you feel, cloud nine? I said, no, not cloud nine, mate, I'm floating on air. Being involved in church life, being a preacher, I often preach to loads of empty chairs in a church. And to go into a chapel where there's 
20 lads all wanting to hear about the Lord Jesus was just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, so that's how it started and then um, I contacted, he said, contact the local jail now. Well, I'll be quite honest with you. Um, living in Sheffield, I thought, well, the only jail I know is Armley in Leeds, the big jail and the big massive security one in Wakefield. Little did I know that within 60 miles of where I live, there's a, there's a prison where, where I work now, where I'm serving the Lord now. Um, and then, But in, that, in the actual area, there's about six prisons all within about 25 miles. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was a case of, I was praying about it, and then looking at Wakefield Prison with the big walls, and then walking away and praying about it again, looking at the prison again, and it was the only prison I really thought I knew, you understand? I kept looking at the big walls, and they terrified me, they really did. And I kept putting it off. And then there was one morning, one of the guys in our church, so I've been, sorry, I've been praying, and it was one morning, and I'd come down to pray, and I'd open my Bible for my morning reading, but my Bible had just fallen open in Acts 16. The verse was, waking out of his sleep, he saw the prison doors open. And God had been just nudging and nudging and nudging all the way through. Saw the prison doors open. I literally got on my knees, I said, okay, which prison? That night, that was a Tuesday morning, that night, went to Bible study, and a lad came to me from church and slipped me a piece of paper and said, I understand you're interested in prison work, give that guy a ring. I'd never spoke about prison work, but obviously the Lord had laid it on his heart as well. So I looked at the piece of paper and I got this number. Didn't know which prison it was, I just got to ask for the, ask for the chaplaincy department. I'd been thinking about Wakefield Jail, I'd been looking at them big towers and the big walls. The following day I rang this number. It was answered by a man who just said, hello chaplaincy department, David Wakefield speaking. He was the head chaplain. I got the right place, I got the right name Wakefield, but it was not a building, it was a man I had to speak to. Yeah. Amazing dad. Anyway, I spoke to him, I went to see him. I told him what I wanted to do, have a Bible study with the lads. And he said, okay, we'll fill the forms in for security clearance. Fill the forms in for security clearance. And he said, they'll take a while to come back. He says, a few months to come back. Uh, I said, well, okay, we'll fill them in and just wait. He says, I'll give you a ring when, when things come back, your clearance has come through. I said, that's fine. Um, I expected it to be months, and the clearance, full, full clearance was through within two weeks. Because God had opened that door, and that was amazing. Yeah. You know? So let's move forward to the first time you go in to do a Bible study. You're not in with somebody else. You know, you're not with Ron Hutchinson. No. You go in, what does that feel like? Because that's something that most... Christians won't experience. No. I pulled him into the car park and I pulled up outside the fences, the big eye fences with a razor wire on the top. And I was due to be there to meet one of the chaplains at quarter to six. I was there about quarter past five. In good time. Just sat there. I think I was probably shaking in my boots, sat in my car. Looking at this big fence, not knowing what were behind them doors. Not knowing anything. I just prayed. I said, Lord, I, I, I'm frightened. And I were. I was petrified. After I finished praying, I thought, well, another quarter of an hour, I'll just turn the record on. I'll just turn the record. I'll turn the CD on in my car and just have a listen. I had no idea what was in the, in the CD. I just thought, just turn the CD on. And there was a man called George Beverly Shea. Have you heard of him, Dan? 
Heard of him, yeah. He was the one of the big singers who sang with the Billy Graham Crusades. And he was singing a song that said these words, I sent an angel into a prison to rescue Peter. I'll send one to watch you. And he did. And he has. Yeah. Great. I've never, ever, ever in the last 24 years felt afraid. Never. I've dealt with some unsavoury characters, but I have never, ever felt afraid. I've taken knives off people. People's been officers strung with them. I've, I've helped them out, and I've literally took blades off them and all sorts. The Lord made a promise, and he keeps his promise. Yeah. So let me ask you a question that kind of jumping ahead slightly. But during your role of going into prison and later on working with people who've come out, yeah. you've exposed your family to, to those characters in that environment. Yeah. Is that a difficult thing to... It's one thing for yourself to go in, your big personality, your big character, but to go in in any role with family members and to have people come to you from that background, how did you find that? There's honour among thieves, and because I'm actually in there amongst them, they build a big respect to them. And initially, um, Judith came in with me um, on a Sunday evening, once a month. We used to we used to have a gospel meeting in there. We'd we'd take the gospel meeting from Kilimash actually into the prison, and we'd go in. But Judith used to go with me. And the girls were old enough to go, they had to be over 18. By that time the girls were growing up and they were going in and they were, they were going as well with us. And, and Jonathan and Steve went in as well when they were courting Sarah and Amanda. And the lads just respected who we were, what we stood for. And they also respected that when I said something, I meant it because I got the, the backing of heaven behind me. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and it was amazing, and some of the times, you know, Sarah and Amanda, young, late teens, early twenties, standing on the um, pulpit in the chapel with with lifers, life-serving prisoners, singing hymns. It was quite moving. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So just, just for any potential future father-in-laws, I would hate to have to <laughs> not only ask for marriage, but then to be told you've got a company of prison. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That would be a step too far. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, Dan. It really is. People I've took in, have just been blown away by the the freedom you have of sharing the gospel, uh, and, and the results that we've seen have been great. We've had people in fellowship at Kilimarsh, people in fellowship at various places. We've got one in fellowship down in in Warwickshire, all over the country. The lads are now in fellowship in churches who've been reached by the gospel in prison. And yeah. you know, me saying a few minutes ago, I would have just thrown the keys away before the Lord called me to it. You understand? So what is it about people who are incarcerated that makes them give you the time of day? Makes them want to go and have a Bible study and hear the gospel? Is that any different to, for those people than it is for people outside? Not really. Um, a lot of them, it gets them out of the cell for a couple of hours. But then they come and sit and open the Bible, a dusty Bible, and open it that's all in Old English. But it gets them out of the cell, so they come. And it's through the reading of the Bible, and then we start to discuss it in their language. They realise that this man Jesus, who they've, they've only used his name as a swear word, 
some of them don't even realise they've used it. And when you start pointing that out to them, that, that the man who you talk about was a real man. He was a man who died on the cross. Some of these kids have never, ever heard anything whatsoever. The upbringing they've had, they've never heard anything at all. And, I mean, one, one lad I spoke to, I'd been speaking about blind Bartimaeus in one of, the, in one of the groups. And this lad who was there, he was a real villain. And the officers had said, don't have him in your group. And I said, no, he's fine, come in the group. He said, no, don't have him in your group. And I said, okay. But he came in. And I watched him like an author. I said, any problems, press the button and we'll have him straight out. We've got alarm buttons in the, in the room. I spoke about blind Bartimaeus. And I said, I actually said something. We talked about Bartimaeus and he came to the Lord and, and the Lord asked him a question, what do you want? And I just made a comment. I said, imagine asking a blind man what he wants. I said, what a strange question. I said, but the point is, blind man Bartimaeus had to acknowledge he'd got a problem and then God would meet his need. And I said, you know, I said, if I were to ask you a question today, what would you want? What would you say? And it was a general shot across about 20 in the group. It was a general shot. And this lad just turned around and said, I want to meet this man. If it can change lives like that. And the amazing thing about that was the first time he came to the meeting. And that night I led him to the Lord. Yeah. And his life was absolutely revolutionised. Officers noticed it because of his violence. His wife noticed it and his kids noticed it. And you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Because yeah, you yeah. know his kids very well. Yeah. Part of your role is not just doing a general Bible study large group. You would go to cells and deal with people on a one-to-one -one basis. Yeah. Is that a difficult thing with all of the problems people have to, to know how to cope, how to answer, how to, to give advice? It's being there. I go, I, I go to the cells to see the guys. Sometimes it's... I mean, I, I, I was talking to a guy on Tuesday. He asked specifically to see me. Um, the only reason he asked, he said, you helped another guy I know. And he got his life changed and I needed to help me. Talking to him, his mother had been murdered by his brother. An horrendous background. Wow. Um, he was cutting himself up with, with razor blades. He wanted to end his life and he just wanted to talk. Well, it was great because I could tell him the reason the other lad, you know, that friend, the other lad who he was telling me about, they call him John, I said, the reason, the reason his life got changed was the very, very fact that he got God in his life, that he realised he was a sinner. I was able to share the gospel with him, and that's the amazing thing. And that lad is now wanting, well, we, we chatted for about an hour, an hour and a half. Out of the cold, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Can you come and see me? And I went and chatted for about an hour, spoke about the Lord, and he wants to see me again next time I go in. Yeah. He wants to spend time because he wants to know more. Something happened to John that changed his life. And he wants to know. He wants exactly what he got. Yeah. And that's the thing. Well, we've just had the signal three minutes till tea. So we'll Fine. pause that there. We'll no come problem. back after tea. No problem.
So we're joined this in the second half by Stephen's wife Judith. Hi. And she's here to correct all the wrongs, yeah. tell the real truth. Yeah. Uh, because in the second half we're going to look at uh, a little bit more about the work as it goes out of the prison walls and it affects the home life. So we're glad to have Judith. We just had a huge meal, so hopefully we'll not doze off while we're, we do the talk. The first question in the second half, at what point did you stop the kind of the weekly visits and change into the full-time role that you now have? The Lord had been knocking on the door for a long time. He'd been asking us, we've been putting it off. I also remember David Strachan, who's our, finance, my, our financial advisor, sat in my office one day and we were just talking about the, the work in the prisons uh, and we were talking about the company Cherith. He's a Christian. He's a Christian, David Strachan, up in, in uh, Peterhead. We are talking about Cherith and the prison work and David said something that really shook and he said you know there was a day when Elijah had to leave Cherith you know what I mean yeah and that poof but he got a business he got a nice car he got a nice holidays he got a nice home but the Lord just kept nagging away if that's the right word chipping away and eventually he chipped away long enough and he took the business off us and then we set up again, we tried to go again, uh, and in actual fact we had the, the best year we'd have, ever had for years, but the desire had now gone, and it was they wanted me in the, in the prisons full time, and Judith, was, and Judith was back in it, Yeah, you know. So it went from doing two evenings a week, to working five, six days a week, in the prison, working with the lads, also working with the lads on the outside, and that was about 2000 and, 10? Mm. 2010, yeah, 2011. Mm. So for the last nine years, it's been flat out. Yeah. I'm going to put Judith on the spot now. So the first half, Stephen said that in the night when he felt called, if that's the right term initially, that first conviction that prison work was something to do, you had reinforced that idea. But you're making the sacrifice and the commitment and you have the knowledge that your husband's going into prison. Is that a difficult thing? Each day to know he's going off to a very dangerous environment? Yeah. First of all, could I just say that the word Cherith means the Lord will provide. And when we lost the business, which was called Cherith Press, I couldn't even bear to hear the name Cherith. But for years, I resented almost the word Cherith. And one day the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Cherith said, I will provide. And through all that very difficult time, he did. And he meant what he said when he said, I will provide. So he did. Yeah. He did, so I don't resent mm -hmm. it anymore. Yeah. Sorry, Dan. That's all right. What were your questions? <laughs> it's very easy to hear of one person who's doing a work and they're off and they're doing what the Lord's called them to do. There are always others who are paying some price. And, and the idea that your husband's going to such a dangerous environment, it must have taken your faith a lot that every day you know the Lord's protecting him and keeping him safe. I don't know if Stephen mentioned this, but the first time he ever went into prison with Ron, he 
before he went in, he was very nervous, and he, he, a song was playing on the radio, and it said, I'll send an angel to look after you. And he always has. And I guess I've always hung on to that, that the Lord is looking after him. And whatever happens, the Lord is in control, and I accept that whatever happens, he'll look after him, and he has yeah. to date. Mm. And I think the longer you experience that, does it get easier? You know, you look back and you see no. how... <laughs> no. No. I always worry. Yeah. I mean, I worry, worry. I worry about Stephen most time anyway, just for who he is. Yeah. 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 So you do, I do always yeah. worry, even yeah. though I know he's in the Lord's hands. Uh, but the Lord sometimes takes things in a different direction we don't expect. Yeah. yeah, and let's let's move on to the, the fact that the work didn't just stay within the prison. You've been hugely involved, the two of you, in the work outside. I'm trying to think of the word that's used that is a rehabilitation and, and taking them out of prison and integrating them back into society, particularly those who have gone in and they've had no Christian input, and as they've come out of prison as Christians, you've been able to to help and them, support. encourage yeah. them, support them in many ways in which a family wouldn't. Like yeah. their family wouldn't, and you've had to be the family. I wonder, has there been many encouragements, many disappointments along the way? Many disappointments, both. <laughs> both, yeah. I mean, having said that, there's a family, there's two boys, Paul and Andrew, who we met when we first started in 97, who still come to the house, not being back into prison, and call us mum and dad. Mm. Yeah. And even Paul's wife, Paul's got a drink problem, and... Uh, even Paul's wife, when Paul started, if you go off on a binge, a binge drink, she would say, I'll ring your dad, and your dad and mum will come round. Uh, and he's got a lot of respect for and us. And we did. And we did. Yeah. Um, Very difficult days sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes they are, they are difficult, you know, because these lads have got no, no moral upbringings or anything like that. And it's... We just having to try and help them, to give them, to guide them, uh, and we we have worked with quite a lot, and it's you know it's been very rewarding. We've had to go and support people through relatives getting killed in road accidents, but it's been there. It's been rewarding in the long run. Yeah, and the Lord's always blessed us. And it's not your nine to five job anymore, is oh. it? When it's outside, that phone never stops ringing. Never not stop. even on holiday. <laughs> no, and sometimes you just go to bed. <laughs> and just leave me on the phone downstairs, just talking to somebody, and you know. And sometimes I have to pop out and see somebody, and you know. Uh, but she's good, right, flower. So I also want to ask about personal sacrifices because your your employment is for when you're within those four walls, but your work is outside of that, time wise, finance wise, emotional wise. How do you keep positive? How do you keep going? We support each other, but the Lord's obviously supports as well. And we've got one or two very, very good supportive Christian friends who pray for us a lot. Mm -hmm. And practically. And practically as well. It's amazing you sometimes. Know, a just lad's, when, yeah, yeah, just a lad's been out today. Yeah. One of the lads from the meetings took one of, took one of the lads out for, for breakfast today just to help him, to encourage him. And he's, he's not a public man in the meeting. Nobody knows about it. But he's been out, took him out for something to eat for breakfast and then just dropped us a text to say, I've been out with Paul, and that's just fantastic. At least, yeah. Yeah. Do you find that there are others who 
have become involved in the work because they've heard your report, they've heard of what you're doing, and they've got an interest? Pray. <laughs> Pray is the most important thing, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've done a lot. Uh, a lot of people have read the reports, and a lot of people pray and practically help help us practically. We've got the likes of Dom, whose work is a, a fantastic worker for us. Other guys who help us. Dom, Dom's outstanding, really. Uh, just being willing to do things. We had Scott and Ali willing to do things at one bit. We're praying for them there now. Back in good back in, contact. Back in good contact with us again. Mm. I mean, I'll be quite honest, it is... It is a calling, and people in the set, people in churches haven't got an haven't got any idea, and a lot of them can't cope with it because they don't understand where they've come from. I know where they come from. I work with them in the prison. I work on one to ones with them in the prison, and I understand the background. There's a lad we're working with, John, at the moment. The abuse he got as a child was absolutely horrendous. His sister who. I spoke to her about three or four weeks ago in, in Ireland. She confirmed exactly what he'd been saying. Right. The physical and sexual abuse that he was brought up with. And it, it's not wired upright, if you understand what yeah. I'm saying. He just doesn't cope. Would we? But, yeah. but would we? But he thinks of his mum and dad. He's been worried with Judah because she had COVID. And he's been really panicking that she's going to be all right. That my mum's going to be all right. And that's not bad when, you know, John's 48, so that, what, what does that make Judith? <laughs> a young mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, the lad called John. Uh, on, he's, in, he's in prison, another prison at the moment. And on bank holiday Monday, August bank holiday Monday, I had a phone call from that prison, would I go in? I don't even work in that prison. But would I go in? Because John had just found out that his daughter and his ex-wife had been killed in a car crash. He's got nobody left. Yeah. When I went in, I went in and with him, two or three hours in there, didn't I? Bank holiday Monday, my day off, bit of time with Judith, an hour in prison helping John. Yeah. I never begrudge it. You never begrudge it, do you? No. <laughs> so during lockdown, visitation stops. The lads could get restless. You know, they really restricted further yeah. than normal. What were you able to do in order to continue the work that, that happens in the prison? Well, the lads, during lockdown, are 23 hours behind the door. It's affected mental health in a horrendous way. Lads self-harming, um, and that's when we as chaplains go and sit with them and chat with them, sometimes take the blades off them, just try to help them, to talk them through it. So it has been quite rewarding in some ways, but quite challenging in others. But there has been no um, no services, no Bible classes or anything like that. And uh, we normally get 35 on a Sunday morning to the service, to the morning service. And then 20, 20 odd in the group, in the groups. And they're all stopped. But we're still outreaching into the lads as a one-to-one, -one, which is amazing, really. But one of the things we, we've, we've decided to do, the Anglican chaplain was a lovely Christian guy. I've known him for many, many years. We used to work together at one of the other prisons. We've, we've created a, a Herald a newspaper, Sunday morning, a Sunday newspaper. Yeah. Uh, and what we've done, we've actually put a Bible story there in our own words. Then we put the scripture in verbatim. Then there's a quiz and then there's a word search. We were reaching 35 on a Sunday, 20 during the Bible study. We're now taking 
the Herald out to over 300 prisoners every single week to give it them to read in the cell. And the lads are asking for the Heralds when we're going around, have you got the Herald for us? They've yeah. nothing else to do and they're wanting to read and it's amazing how the Lord is working. There was one lad who, um, I was on a wing with him. I was on a wing just talking to somebody else, hanging over the railing, talking to somebody else. And this guy was stood a little bit further away, earwigging. Not only women earwig, this guy was doing it as well. <laughs> and that was, a, that was a Friday. The following Thursday, I was, in, I was in the office and he came in and he said, um, I've been looking for you all week. Um, you don't know me, but I wanted to talk to you. So I said, what's the matter? He said, last week you were talking to a lad over the railings on the house block. And he said, I was just there earwigging. And he said, you said something that I've been waiting for the answer for, for about three years. He said, and in that conversation, you said the answer. I went back to my cell, got on my knees, asked the Lord to be alive. Wow. Didn't even know. Yeah. The amazing thing about it, that lad is now doing Emmaus Bible courses. He's averaging two a week, and he's just had one back this week, which was the lowest score he's ever got, and it was on the names of God, and he only got 87%. percent <laughs> um, they probably got about 20% if I did that. But 87%. All the other courses he's doing, he's been in the low... It's in the high 90s, even 100%. He's got a wife who lives in Wakefield. And my cousin, or my cousin's wife, Jill, um, is now witnessing to her and working with her, his wife, um, and taking Bible readings and sending YouTubes to her. And she's learning as well and she's listening as well. And she's responding to the gospel as well. Yeah. So it's just amazing what God is doing in this lockdown. Yeah. And the, the challenge is to us, you know, the churches are empty, but the streets are full. Yeah. And that's a challenge. Two questions to, to finish. The first one is, for people who want to pray for the work and for yourselves, what prayer points would you give? Not say names or places, but is there anything in particular that you think would be helpful for them to, to want to pray along to? <clears throat> Pray that we can reach the lads for the Lord. That's the most important thing. Yeah. yeah. And a final question to the both of you, and no doubt it'll be an individual thing, but have you a Bible verse that has been a help? It could be one that's convicted you initially. It could be one that sustained you. It could be one that just challenges you. The one that I stick by is that one in Acts. I've mentioned it already in Acts chapter 16. Seeing the prison doors open. And the doors are open, and I'll keep going whatever they are. I think my verse would be, I know all's the future. Well, it's more of a chorus, really, isn't it? I know yeah. all's the future. Yeah. I just, I like that. Yeah. Thank you very much for I letting I thought me. you were going to sing it then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we'll no. take the microphone off before we sing it. Definitely not. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me on the Testimony Podcast. Yeah. Thank Thanks you, Dan. Thank you for listening to Testimony. If you have any suggestions as to who would make a good interview, then please get in touch at testimonypodcast at outlook.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter.
Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.